Elon Musk opens up the vault at Twitter, and the released Twitter files validate your worst fears about how far the Democrats will go and have gone to manipulate our elections. Plus, the Chinese take to the streets to protest tyranny, but the shining city on the hill does not have their back. Finally, Biden's student loan relief will not be paid anytime soon, if at all. The latest on the immoral student loan bribe saga next on The Midnight Ride. Let's go. It's Monday, December 5th, 2022, and you're listening to your home for misinformation and disinformation, also known as The Truth, the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. I am Connor Coughlin. Quick reminder before we get to Paul into this show, that's really good, and we appreciate that. Please continue to share this program with like-minded conservatives, and if you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That goes a long way to help getting our message out to the rest of the world. And now, without further ado, Paul Runyon, welcome back. It's good to have you back. How was your week? Good. I'm glad. I was about to say, if he didn't say welcome back, I was like, you, you missed me that much? <laughs> you, did a good, you did a great show on your own. I was, I was very proud of you. It was nice. I liked, the, I liked the review that you did of Devotion. We kind of had an interesting last couple of weeks. Uh, I had that interview with, with Francisco, and then, and then you did a show. I was actually gone. I had, I had surgery. So I was out on a medical. You know, I think you had said that I was out partying after the, the Michigan victory. Isn't that what you said? Yeah. And weren't you? Well, it was a different kind of partying. I mean, uh, painkillers and oxycodone. <laughs> My head was up in the clouds, but it was a different, uh, it's a different thing. I, wa- I was very happy about that, hoping that by the time everybody's listening to this, Michigan's beaten Purdue. But we will, uh, we'll see what what happens there. The one thing I'm thankful for with my surgery, you know, I was thinking about this, it's gone really well, was how bad would it be to have a government employee doing surgery on you? I mean, if that was what we had, socialized medicine? No, well, time out. I mean, my medical care comes from the VA, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine could. I guess I just have the opportunity to yeah, to go beyond that. But I mean, the- but thanks for saying that because, you know, now I have a lot to look for. That's why I got to take good care of myself. Well, exactly. Could you imagine like a government employee being like, all right, he's putting in the anesthesia. It's like, all right, you won't remember a thing. And then next thing you know, <laughs> you're a ward of the state. We got to come back to this and we'll, we will be talking about this on a future program. But up in Canada, the government is is just standing by as doctor-assistant suicide is, I mean, so that's, that's a thing and the government has a hand in it and it's... Can't you like commit suicide up there for any reason? It's like, all right, I'm depressed and then yep. I can just go to the hospital and they kill you? 18-year-old depressed person can do it. And the government stands by and practically applauds it. We'll talk about that in a future show, but we've got a lot to talk about today uh, given the Elon Musk. We're going to talk about Twitter today. We're going to talk about Apple today. And we're going to talk about the Biden administration. So you know I'm pissed off. Oh, yeah. Anytime we go into pig tech, Connor is on a, on a rampage. So this is one of those days where it just happens that two big tech issues sort of came together at one time. And they're kind of related. Let, let's get into it. So since Elon Musk, who is, by the way, 
probably one of the, fa- the Midnight Ride's favorite human beings and is wrongfully maligned. This is a guy, Paul, who the environmentalists hate, even though he's done more to reduce greenhouse, you know, greenhouse gas or, or fossil fuel emissions than probably all of them put together. He has reinvigorated American space exploration. He has provided internet to all of these folks, especially in places like Ukraine and and others, and they hate him. And I think the reason why they hate him just was, you know, we just saw why over the weekend. As uh, Friday afternoon, as promised, Elon Musk opened up the gates to the Twitter archives and gave them to a journalist. Now, I think it's telling that the Twitter files were not given to the Washington Post or the New York Times, the old muckrakers, you know, the, the people who broke the stories of the Pentagon Papers and all these folks. No. Yeah, why was Bob Woodward not given the files? <laughs> because Bob Woodward has stood by as all of this stuff was going on. If Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon can say with pretty good certitude that this stuff is going on and it's not even written about in the Washington Post, they're either asleep at the wheel, which, I mean, Woodward's a very smart guy. It's that they don't care. Well, yeah. I mean, Woodward's a smart guy. His his brain may be up there with Biden's at this point. But yeah, I mean, they just obviously everybody's taken a side at this point. And that's how journalism has changed over the last few years. I mean, every outlet now has just realized that they can make more money by playing to their specific audience. And it turns out that the mainstream media has decided that the left of center, far left audience is the one that they're going to focus on. And there's no more journalism. What was amazing for me, I thought, was that Musk went to Matt Taibbi, who is one of the, I'd say, remaining few independent journalists out there who's been relegated to Substack because obviously he cannot write anymore for the Rolling Stone where he used to be and uh, other areas because they're just not no longer uh, objective. Well, it's it's funny. We talk about, you know, three names here on this show that that are sort of the you know, they're the untouchables, you know, they're, they're no longer part of the journalist cast, but they've all gone independent and they're all doing very well. And that's Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, and Barry Weiss. You know, those three names are, are folks that you can trust. You can, And I would add Alex Berenson to that list too. And Alex Berenson, they all left, you know, Rolling Stone, New York Times, uh, The Intercept, et cetera, uh, because of this thing that you, that you talk about, which is we're just going to play to our base and give them clickbait and we'll be rich. And they are, but they are no longer credible. As we say, you know, the, the New York Post is now, once again, the nation's paper of record. But Matt Taibbi got the scoop. And let's just get into, before we get in, I just want to say, ever since he bought Twitter, there has been a national gaslighting campaign by the, by the mainstream media and the elites. Twitter is dying. Twitter is is a hate, you know, a portal for hate. Hate speech is on. They're tr- they were trying to set this narrative because they knew what was coming, Paul. They did exactly, and uh, of course, it hasn't worked because Twitter uh, is now growing more than it's ever grown in its history. Um, so it is hard for these media organizations to stop objective journalism and free speech. People want that. It's very hard, you know. No matter how hard the mainstream media tries. They really can't control the population and what happens. But what's fascinating about the Twitter files is just how the whole thing came about. You know, it was 
we tend to, people tend to think of it as like some big grand conspiracy. And what's interesting is just kind of how slowly it all grew into this almost like big bureaucratic Leviathan. You know, I mean, it started as just an amazing tool. And I'm sort of going through what Taibi was talking about. It was making true real-time global conversation possible, you know, for the first time ever. And little by little, people would get upset. There would be complaints. The company would slowly have to start adding barriers to it. There were, you know, originally it was, you know, there was spam and financial fraudsters. I mean, that's really how it started. And they had, they started with tools that way to start preventing that, which was like a little bit of a way of, of controlling speech. But then you had sort of outsiders start petitioning the company as well to control the speech. And that's where things got a little bit weird at Twitter because they would start putting, you know, they'd write these policies and then you'd about, you know, what speech could and couldn't be. And then you'd almost have these outside groups that would then contact Twitter and say, this is a violation of your policy. That's a violation of your policy. And that's kind of how it grew. And it just it kept going and going and getting worse and worse and worse. So it almost wasn't like this, this big grand conspiracy from the beginning, but it sort of grew into one. And yeah. what was made even more interesting, and, and I think, Connor, you're, you know, love to get your thoughts on this, is just the sort of, and I hate to use the term bias because that's so big in the diversity world, but when you can see their political contributions, and in 2020 and 2022, you had 98% plus of Twitter employees contributing to the Democratic Party, you can see where there was a natural bias that started to set in. Yeah, there absolutely was. So I think, you know, as we're going through these, and by the way, you note to Elon Musk and the U.S. Air Force, don't drop this stuff at, you know, 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon. That's what the Biden administration does when they want a story to die. 21 Raider bomber, which the Air Force, well, it wasn't the Air Force. I, I, sorry, I shouldn't say the Air Force. Who I don't know who makes that plane, if it's Northrop Grumman or 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 Lockheed Martin, whoever whoever made the plane, because it's still, it's not in the air. Northrop Grumman, it's Northrop Grumman. Okay, yeah, they, they had this party out in California at like 5 p.m. And, you know, Matt Taibbi dropped this at, at like 5 or 6 p.m. on Friday night. So we're going to go through it. If you haven't gone through the Twitter files, and I think Paul just went through the very, Taibbi goes through everything Paul just said about how it was built and how it started to, shape into this progressive echo chamber. But yes, the political contributions are in there. And, you know, they got 2018, 96% of the contributions from Twitter employees were to the Democrats. 2020, it was 98 and 98.5. And 2022, 99.73%. Yeah, to give you an idea of those numbers, it was 165,000 $969 given to the Democrats and $451 given to Republicans. So that one guy yeah. who's sitting there at the uh, massage table there at Twitter or whatever, you know, this is the one guy who's been leaking stuff to us apparently. But yeah, I mean, that comes as no surprise to anybody. And as you look at the way these infants have acted about Musk's takeover. I mean, they, they make no bones about it. They are progressive activists. And that is why 
Musk needed to buy Twitter. So much of it were, it was all based, and Taibi mentioned this, because it was so unbalanced, it ended up being based on contacts, right? Because these people were progressive activists, they had contacts in the government. So you had people like the Biden team during the 2020 election was- That's where I was going. Yeah, it was consistently sending things to Twitter, right? So it was like you you had, here's more to review. You know, they'd send links to take down. Then you had the DNC would be sending things in to James Woods, the actor, trying to get his things taken down. And then, of course, the Republicans would do the same thing, but it would have nowhere near the impact because they just didn't have the contacts inside the company. So it really became one-sided. Well, they didn't have the contacts inside the company, but let me just try to distill this down to one question. The Democratic Party and their contacts within Twitter. Now, this all, you know, the the seminal event in the 2016 presidential election was the New York Times, the New York Post, the, the national paper of record, the New York Post story on likely corruption involving Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and selling access to the big guy. That story was suppressed. By Twitter. 2020, I think you said 2016. 2020, 2020 presidential election. Sorry. And uh, that story was suppressed and they go into that. But as you say, in 2020, before the election, there was coordination that is documented and shown here by Matt Taibbi. They have the exact tweets and it's like, let's run these by the, the Biden team brought these to our attention. And then you see handled. We handled these. So the Biden team was going to Twitter with posts that were clearly not favorable to their election prospects. And those tweets were, quote, handled by executives at Twitter. Exactly. I mean, this whole thing, you can just see how crazy this was. I mean, Twitter interfered in the election. I mean, through this. And what's crazy even more that you see this is that the CEO, Jack Dorsey, was didn't even have knowledge. I mean, you look at this he actually got involved to try to prevent some of this censorship, you know? And as weird as Jack Dorsey is, we saw him, you know, with the nose ring and at those congressional hearings last year, and he looked like he was on drugs and everything. I don't know what was going on, but he did seem to, it seemed like this whole thing got out of his control and he didn't seem to be a big fan. And he's really good friends with Elon Musk. And I believe he's part of the new Twitter and is supporting a lot of this free speech. So What's insane to me is that this this became Frankenstein, right? It just turned into this big machine that became out of people's control. And when you have everybody thinking one way, it becomes hard to even make a change. So when this Hunter Biden laptop thing comes, somebody tried to put it into the, to have it fit within one of their specific policies. And the policy they chose was hacked material. They couldn't prove that it was hacked. But they're like, let's just be, you know, let's err on the side of caution. Looks like it could have been hacked. So let's say it was hacked. So they put it in hacked material for being unsafe. Well, let's, but let's not be naive and let's not give the Democrats the benefit of the doubt. Everybody knows the power of these platforms. And it wasn't just at Twitter. Hopefully someday we'll get the Facebook files, okay? But right now, Elon Musk is is our only hope, uh, you know, and he tweeted out last week something like free speech is the this is the most critical election is the critical issue for the future of the world and the future of democracy. I don't think that's understating it. Those people went there for a reason. 
okay? And they understood the power of this platform. You mentioned the New York Post story. Also detailed in the Twitter files, Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary for President Trump and the White House spokesperson, she tweeted about the New York Post story and was locked out of her account, okay? This is not, oh, whoops, oh, is this hacked or whatever. This was heavily suppressed by Twitter. Essentially, they when she got locked out of her account, uh, someone from the Trump campaign emailed somebody at Twitter. Someone at Twitter wrote the team saying, can you guys look into this? And obviously it was not, I mean, she was locked out for a very long time. They sort of kind of ignored it. And what was crazy, I was mentioning these policies. So they had all these policies, right? And then based on the bias of the people at Twitter, they'd essentially go looking for a policy that they could use to take these things down. So it's almost like, it's like a reporter writing a story. He's like, already written the story and then gets the quotes to fit in, to fit his narrative, they would already have the narrative and then they'd go looking for, for a Twitter policy that they could tie into it. And for, for Hunter Biden, they used the hacked material one, which was a complete stretch. And obviously everybody knew it. And that's what they used to take it down. So, so you, you had this sort of democratic hive mind. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just the, the New York Post story. As you mentioned, James Woods, who, by the way, I think may be suing somebody about this. He was deplatformed. All these people that were deplatformed, silenced, whatever, because they criticized Biden or the Democratic Party. That wasn't happening to Republicans. And all of this stuff was going on. I, I thought that was, and at the Hunter Biden story, by the way, was not only suppressed, you had all of these people in the national security apparatus, former employees of the CIA, whatever, that came out and said, this looks like Russia. This has all the trappings and hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And the mainstream media was all over that. How many people came back and said, I was wrong? It was almost like they were say, speaking off the same talking points, Paul. This was, the fix was in, okay? And these people for months this year, went out there and said, democracy is on the ballot, free and fair elections. Well, guess what? There was no free and fair election in 2016. This shows it. 2020. Uh, 2020, sorry. 2020. I, I, why, do, why do I keep saying that? 2020, this shows this. 2016 was a problem also, so. It, well, it, it, yeah, but. That was the Russian, that was the fake Russian story. But as long as, if you're going to have a, a thing like Twitter, a public square, Okay, that's moderated, but it's, you know, there's free speech. There's always going to be people trying to get in there and put stuff out there. Okay, but when the platform itself is filtering out one side or the other, listen, you could have people from Russia trying to support Trump, and you could have people from China trying to support Hillary Clinton. Maybe that happened. Okay, we don't know. We know they try to do it. We know they do it in every election, in France, UK, everywhere else. This is different. This is the Democratic Party with operatives on the inside doing their bidding, okay? I should say that Matt Taibbi, you know, did one that my wife the other day said, you know, Connor, you need to say something nice about Democrats. They're not all evil. And I said, well, honey, yes, they are. You haven't lived in this country long enough to know, but yes, they are. But Matt Taibbi writes about Ro Khanna, okay? Congressman from the 17th of California. He's a, I think he's a Yale-educated lawyer. And to his great credit, he wrote into Twitter and said, hey, guys, I'm worried about this. Is there a free speech issue here? I'd like to, you know, I'm happy to chat if you if you want to talk. But Kana comes in and says, hey, there could be some First Amendment issues here. And the Twitter folks are like, eh, 
we don't really care about that that much. Well, if you listen to what, if you read what Taibi said there, it's kind of hard to, to determine what the real motives were on the Twitter side. You know, so much, and I, I hate to go back to universities and everything else. Remember, this is in San Francisco. Most of these are young people working there. My question is, do they even understand what free speech is? I mean, I almost feel like so many people have been indoctrinated now to think, oh, well, this is dangerous. It makes me feel upset. I get offended. It's, it triggers me. So that's not appropriate. And what Kana was, was saying was, hey, this, he keeps trying to bring it back to the Bill of Rights in these emails that go back and forth. And it seems like the Twitter people don't even understand what free speech is. I mean, this is the problem when we get into this. As you said, it's a hive mind from the very beginning, starting at university, going all the way through to the company. This is what happens with one-party rule. This is a warning. This is a canary in the coal mine. This is what happens in these communist countries like China, Venezuela, you name it. You get into this hive mind where debate is not tolerated, and all of a sudden you end up living in a dystopian police state. And thank God that Elon Musk brought this out because it's really showing people what's happening. Twitter has now been released from the bonds of this type of totalitarian thinking. And, you know, I think that's going to be a huge plus to our democracy and our country. Obviously, we still, people are trying to tear him down. But if anything has been learned over the last 10 years, it's do not bet against Elon Musk. He seems to win every single battle that he's in. So I'm really happy that this came out. Well, so am I. Listen, uh, Donald Trump, you know, wavered back and forth, said some pretty stupid things about Elon Musk, but he should be pretty grateful today because, you know, everything that Trump has been saying has been completely validated. Our tweet of the week is from Shukri Abdiraman. You might remember her. She ran against Ilhan Omar in Minnesota's fifth district, mother of three, unabashedly Muslim, unapo unapologetically American, army vet, her official blue check page at shoe for Congress. Unfortunately, she could not unseat that a hateful squad member. But her tweet says, two pillars of a successful republic are election integrity and confidence in our democratic processes. We have neither. Paul, I, I can't disagree with her. No, I have nothing. To say. What do you want me to say? She's right. Mic drop. I mean, we had people. I'm holding her beer. Yeah. Well, let me put it that way. Do you remember when the New York Post story came out? There was all this stuff. And there was this guy that came out and said, listen, and this was recently when we, the Hunter Biden laptop story, the New York Post story was coming out. And then like CBS News a couple of weeks ago, a year and a half after the story said, you know what? That story was true. No, you don't get to do that. You ignored it. You could have sent your, your best reporters down out to chase it and look at it and report on it then. You don't get to come back now. We know what you did, mainstream media. But one of these guys, I don't know who it was, came out and said, look, Hunter Biden could have had the corpses of children in his basement. I wouldn't have cared. They, they basically said to take down Trump, this is all we needed to do it. And they didn't care about destroying the fabric of our democracy. All of this talk about democracy on the ballot is a bunch of crap, okay? The, our democracy was subverted. You want to talk about the January 6th committee, the sham show trials. This was the insurrection. Using Twitter to shut down speech about things that the American voter had a right to know about. That was the insurrection. When we come back, we're going to talk about another 
big tech company, one that has been mentioned in conjunction with Twitter, and that is Apple and the role that they are playing to help the Chinese suppress their citizens. That is next. Don't go away. The Midnight Ride Podcast. Oh, we're back. I had to take a, a sip of my Diet Coke. I'm, I'm like Elon Musk. Can't stop drinking it. We had a bathroom break and I took a deep breath. I was pretty upset there, Paul. But I can tell my wife that I did say no, something nice about a Democrat. Ro Khanna, good on you, bud. Uh, this next topic. Yeah, we are. Very, you did get very upset. I mean, you and I are very different. I try to look at these things. You know, I'm trying to look at it very analytically, right? Like the the growth of the bureaucracy and how it all happened and but, you know, it does elicit a lot of anger. I mean, this while I'm looking at it, trying to look at it from an objective standpoint, it is something that people should be angry about. I mean, it's not okay when this happens. Well, listen, I mean, I have some analytical bona fides as well. I, you don't have to go to Yale to look at this and see what happened here. And we, every American should be outraged. And the fact that only one side of the political, listen, can we say that if Republicans had this power that they would have used it? Maybe. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is why you need checks and balances. That is why our government needs to take a look at Section 230 and everything else because of the power of big tech. And let's talk about big tech a little bit further, because over the last week or so, we've had people talking about, hey, Apple needs to deplatform Twitter. We need to take it off the app store or whatever. Elon Musk and Tim Cook met. Apparently that's not going to happen. But Apple was in the headlines this past week because it turns out, you know, maybe at the Starbucks all over Silicon Valley, where they're now claiming to be trans and getting their universal basic income, maybe those people don't crave freedom. But it turns out in China, people really want freedom. And the COVID, zero COVID policies that they have they're now, once again, welding people's doors shut. They're locking them in their homes. They're using these QR codes that they have on their phones to determine if they can get on the freeway or whatever. They can. I mean, it is a total totalitarian state across at least 16 cities. The Chinese people are revolting, but they cannot use certain features on their phones to organize the protests. I believe that China went to Apple and said, could you take the airdrop function out? And they did. Apple. They did. Yeah. For those of you that don't know how airdrop works, so the, the Chinese already censor the internet. So like when you're texting back and forth to each other, sending messages, social media, the Chinese censor that. But airdrop is a connection between two phones. So if you're next to somebody or you're within range, you can drop them information in a way that is protected and can't really be censored. So what China did was say, can you take that feature off the telephone so that no one can use it? That's what makes it so, so egregious. And Tim Cook and Apple, who were apparently concerned about free speech with Twitter and hate and all of this stuff, were more than willing to sit there and be complicit in the Chinese government's brutal, violent suppression of their own citizens. Interesting that in the U.S. government, which, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre went to the podium and said, we're keeping an eye on things at Twitter, has nothing to say. Uh, you know, there was an interesting exchange, Paul, and I think you saw it between Martha McCallum of Fox News, who is a phenomenal interviewer and, and she's a journalist. She asked White House national security 
strategic communications director, John Kirby, about, well, you say you're watching Twitter, but what about Apple getting rid of AirDrop for China? And, and his response was, I don't, what'd you think about it? Less than sufficient in Connor's eyes. Yeah, but what's interesting about that whole thing is that why they have John Kirby in the first place. I mean, he would be an amazing White House spokesperson. He's very talented, but because they have to have the pers gay person of color, female identifying gender person as the spokesperson, Kerry gets or uh, uh, Kirby gets relegated to this other role, you know. But the reality is, he answers these things better than most people do, but. He really doesn't have much to say. I mean, they he's like, we call out everybody, but they won't call out Apple. I mean, you know, he's trying to make this this distinction between an internal policy at a company versus foreign investment. One thing that McCollum didn't get into was that there are many foreign investors that own stock in Apple also. So it's not like they're a they're a complete, they're devoid of any of this foreign investment stuff. And also, Apple has so much business in China. The, the iPhone is made there, and it's obvious that China has Apple held by, you know, they, they've kind of got them by the you-know-what because they can't, if they want to go against the Chinese government, the gov Chinese government's shown that any company they don't like, they can pull off all app stores in China and restrict them as well. So I don't, it's hard for Apple, but at the same time, what's worse is the White House not calling it out. Well, listen. It's absolutely it is. And it's it's hard for Apple. Listen, there will be an accounting. China is a house of cards. Mark my words. I mean, they are a military juggernaut and they're and they're bent on global domination. But their people, you know, freedom will eventually win. It could get bloody. You saw what happened at Tiananmen Square. I saw some video. I don't know how current it is of a tank rolling through the streets of one of these cities. They will kill their own citizens to maintain their grip on power. There's no doubt about it. But all of these American corporations, Apple, Nike, all of these other ones, listen, we will remember. And listen, we're all to blame too because we're buying these products. But if you're sitting there with an iPhone and you're, and you're calling out Twitter, I mean, this is a joke. These people, Apple has blood on their hands for what they're doing. You mentioned that the, the airdrop function. That's like, okay, hey, here come some guys with clubs and sticks. They're coming down the street. Let's go over here. Sorry, you can't do that anymore, thanks to Tim Cook and Apple. I wonder if there's like a national security. Obviously, as a country, we want to contain China. We have to, right? We can't allow China to become the dominant superpower of the world, and we need to do everything we can to protect that. By allowing American companies to work so closely with these adversarial governments, I mean, it almost reminds me of like Ford working with Hitler, you know, in World War II, some of these American companies that that really sort of helped the German government back then. Paul, that's a great example. Yeah, we're almost, it's, it's almost seems like it's at that level. And how do we allow, I mean, we're allowing history, history to repeat itself. And I feel like there's gotta be some sort of national security law that would allow us to restrict what some of these companies can do to help the Chinese regime, right? Because an American company sure. helping our enemy just doesn't, seem like that would be a reasonable thing. Yeah, many of these laws have been passed in the past that, that have sanctioned and, and, you know, said that American companies cannot work with certain, but it hasn't been with China because the size of, you know, right now they're the most populous nation on earth. I think in a few months, India will, will assume that spot on the mantle, but there's still, it's a huge market. And so Hollywood and 
many, you know, Silicon Valley and many other industries. Listen, a lot of companies have even helped their defense sector in some ways and their intelligence sector. It's almost treasonous. But I want to go back to this thing with Twitter. The administration is saying things about Elon Musk. Elon Musk is providing internet to the Ukrainians. Tim Cook is taking away communication for the Chinese citizens who are getting bludgeoned in the streets. This is hypocrisy. And another thing, too, the Chinese government is taking measures that, you know, to zero COVID measures. Dr. Anthony Fauci was talking about we need to take some of the measures that China is taking. Back in, you know, 2020, 2021, he was saying things like this. I don't know what we can say about, you know, their COVID policies or whatever, but we have always in the past, I think, stood for free expression and, and you know, not having governments going around beating their citizens. We're kind of quiet on this one. You know, so I, the administration gets an F for me on how they've handled this crisis. But it's just interesting how they look at Twitter and they look at Apple. And you mentioned one other thing. Paul just said something about foreign ownership. You know, that was the thing that Kirby said to McCallum when she questioned, well, we're looking at, you know, the foreign ownership because apparently there's like one Saudi guy who has a stake in Twitter. But he had a stake in Twitter, I think, before Musk even bought the company. He did. And- that is such a bogus claim. Well, and if you don't think like the Saudi and Qatari and all the sovereign wealth funds don't own Apple stock, you're crazy. <laughs> of course they do. Exactly. I mean, it's, so it's just- There's foreign ownership in all these companies. Yeah, it's just like, what do we say? What do we say? I mean, what can they say? It's a very weak excuse, but their hypocrisy has been laid to bear you know, I'm sorry, I'm with Twitter. I'm not with Apple. I'm actually reevaluating my own relationship with Apple. And, you know, I think you and I said last night, it's like, what do you do? Okay, I don't want to have an iPhone. Well, then the only other choice is Android, which is a Google platform. And we know how they are. So they deplatformed, they took our posts off YouTube for me mentioning that I didn't want my kid to get vaccinated. So I don't, where do we go, right? Or is it going to be uh, Connor and Paul with a, cup with string talking from thousands of miles away. I mean, how, <laughs> what's our option at this point? We'll be right there with the Chinese. Well, our option is to let these folks know the best we can. I mean, it's got to be grassroots and it's got to be hardcore. But the alternative is 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we'll be in the streets getting bludgeoned. I mean, I, you know, and we'll have the tanks rolling for us if this is unchecked. It is. And the other one is, you know, we're going to have to talk about this again because I know we're, this segment we're running out of time, but the but TikTok. I mean, we haven't even talked about TikTok. That's oh, yeah, that's, so, like the, that's the reverse. That's the that's a Chinese company inside the U.S. essentially brainwashing the kids of the United States, uh, turning them into sort of like zombies with the the type of material that they put up there. And, uh, you know, no one will say a word about that either. So we've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, we're going to have to talk about that at some point in the future. That was, Paul, that was the mic drop Martha McCallum should have said. Oh, you, you know, foreign involvement, you know, in a social media platform that is influenced. You mean like the Chinese owned TikTok, which is being weaponized against our youth? Mic drop. She should have followed up with that. She didn't. But maybe Paul should have Kirby on as a, as a midnight chat. You know, although somehow I don't, so, somehow I don't think he would he would come on with the with the mic drop questions that we would ask. No, I know. And, and listen, Mike, uh, just for the record, midnight chats could be Paul, could be Connor, could be both of us. We want John Kirby on here. We want 
anybody, you know, I'd rather have Corinne Jean-Pierre on here. <laughs> that would be comical. Uh, but there's a reason why, as you said, that it was him at answering those questions and not her. Because this, they don't, they're not holding any, the emperor has no clothes, Paul. It's bad. As you said, we're out of time, but the hypocrisy is really, really bad. When we come back, if you applied to have your, the loans that you took out for your uh, college education wiped free, well, don't count on that happening anytime soon. We'll have an update on the latest for the Biden student loan bribe when we come back on the Midnight Ride. We're back. And Paul, you know, this this episode has been a little cathartic for me. I, I apologize. My Irish temper sometimes gets the best of me. But if you're not furious about what we've seen in the past week, you know, I, I think I might have cut you off there a couple of times. But, you know, as we've talked about on this show, and I, a lot of people think that this shows that, you know, the 2020 election was manipulated or stolen. I am I am one of those people. They used big tech to, to seize the White House. And once they got in there, some people would argue, and I will argue, that many of their policies, and this isn't just a Democratic thing, maybe the Republicans do this too. They definitely do. But all it seems like their signature legislation was designed to either pay off political cronies or to firm up and, and throw something back to their core constituencies. And chief among them recently in, in the run-up to this latest midterm was the student loan forgiveness, which Elizabeth Warren said, let me be clear, the president has the authority to wipe off all this student debt. And it turns out he may not. You got some more on that, right, Paul? I do have some more because this is a really interesting piece. Now, we we spoke a little bit about this when they first announced this forgiveness plan. I think we talked maybe about four or five months ago. We did a episode segment on this and they really used a it was a novel way to try to claim that this was legal. And it's what they've done with everything else, which is COVID, right? So uh, essentially, they, they used this act called the HEROES Act, which was done after 9-11. And it was essentially done to make sure that any person that was involved uh, with the war or military operations would not be placed in a worse position financially from being called to serve. So like, for example, if you were a military reservist after 9-11, uh, they wanted to make sure that you were not hurt by being called up financially. So your family wasn't going to be hurt, et cetera. And I think that was a very admirable rule that they did for our service members who are making sacrifices, right? No, absolutely. And that actually applied to people on this podcast, but... Exactly, it did, it did. But the soldier, there wasn't there always something called the Soldiers and Sailors Act, or how is that different? I, I don't understand. Yeah, I think it was just specifically provided more protections. I mean, I think that it was like Sailor and Soldiers Relief Act or something that they had. But then this, this sort of took it a step further, and it was more than sort of like for, let's say, your National Guard or Reserve. It's like more than saying, okay, your job's protected, like you can come back to your job. But they also made sure that you wouldn't be hurt financially for that year. So they would help you a little bit more with your housing allowance and other things like that. They didn't cancel any loans, though, surprisingly, from that act. So, yeah, and those things could apply to like, hey, you had to, you know, your lease you had to break your lease because you had to move out of your place because you weren't going to be there. You got mobilized for 365 days or whatever the case. So that's government at work, right? Protecting people during a time of war, which is a documented thing, right? A real crisis. Exactly. How did they use that? 
Because I remember watching an interview, I think, with Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes. I think it was Anderson Cooper. No, maybe it wasn't. But it was one of the reporters from 60 Minutes walking through the Detroit Auto Show with the president. And he said, the pandemic is over. Yes, I know, right? So what what they tried to do with this was they took the HEROES Act, which used a word national emergency in that act which was obviously based on 9-11. So they took the terms national emergency and then decided to say that any person that was an affected individual as a result of the national emergency could be eligible for canceling these student loans. And they decided to say that anyone with student loans was affected by COVID. You could say any person in the world was affected, Mm. right? And so that they deserved... They could have their loans canceled, and that was in the terms of the law. So upper middle class person who got some student loans to pay for their master's degree and was now working at the corporation that did Zoom, Zoom calls, (laughs) and made millions off of the pandemic, they're eligible to get their loans wiped clean. Uh, Completely eligible to get their loans uh, wiped clean. The Democrats have said, well, what about the Paycheck Protection program. How was that any different? That was legislated. Exactly. That was legislated. This was not legislated. This was essentially just sort of made up. And this that's what's interesting about uh, this, the eviction moratorium, several of the other things that they did, the, the vaccine mandates. Essentially, what's happened with these laws is they, they can interpret them however they want. I mean, they just take whatever's written. And then you can almost kind of take anything, whatever you want, and plug it into this law and say, oh, yeah, it's within that. It's almost like these Twitter policies, right? You have like a vague policy, and then the Biden administration can say, oh, yeah, take his speech down because it justifies under that policy because of X, Y, and Z. That's essentially what they did here. They just interpret these so broadly. And six Republican state attorney generals said, no, they never authorized the government to forgive student loans. That wasn't the purpose of the law at a cost of more than $400 billion, according to the Congressional Budget Office. They even had Nancy Pelosi on record saying that it would take an act of Congress, not an executive order to cancel the debt. So Republican attorney generals have said no. And that's why this thing is going to the Supreme Court. $400 billion. Uh, Now, just to play devil's advocate here for a second, you know, those six attorney generals, they're saying, hey, They're fighting, some people would say they're fighting to make these young, poor, you know, college students who owe all this money to keep paying it, you know, they're evil. Uh, What say you on that? There's another piece here. And what's interesting about this is the standing issue. So people can say whatever they want as far as like someone's evil, somebody's not evil, whatever. But I mean, we're talking about rule of law and the Constitution. That's how this country is built and that's how things work. So what the, what the Biden administration has said is, wait a second, people don't have standing to bring this. Standing means you have to be impacted by this case. And you can't just say that the taxpayers have standing because that's, that's so general on precedent that has been, that's been, Uh, thrown out in a number of court cases. So essentially the standing is that because of the the states are going to be harmed because they would be harmed uh, effectively by canceling these loans. So what they're saying is there would be reduced revenue to these states if large numbers of loans are erased. 
So it would reduce the revenue and harm them and giving them standing. So that's what they're trying to say. Because by, essentially by saying you don't have standing, you're just trying to dismiss this thing on a technicality. It's almost like Biden administration is saying, okay, we know this thing's not constitutional, but since you can't find anybody that has standing, it's got to stay. And the Republicans are saying, no, wait, we have standing because <laughs> our state coffers are going to get hurt by reducing the revenue based on this. Okay. So that's where we are. Yeah. And listen, I mean, it's funny how they're talking about the law and this and that. If they, if it was such an important national priority, and you're talking about $400 billion of our money, then why not convince the American people and we have our representatives go to Washington and work it all out? Why? Because they know that people like us and, and many other people the blue-collar workers of America, the people who were smart enough not to take out loans for worthless degrees, the people who joined the military to pay for their college, all of these other people are going to say, hell no, I'm not paying for that. You made the decision. And they don't address the other cause, which is every all of these democratic policies are boosting up these universities, which have huge endowments, which have, you know, it's just they are helping to increase the cost of college and not addressing the reason why all these loans need to be taken out. So the six attorney generals did this. There was some sort of legal decision by a judge somewhere that said, all stop on the payments, right? So nobody's gotten their student loans wiped yet, right? Where are we now? Yeah, so essentially, a originally a federal judge in St. Louis dismissed the claims of the state saying they didn't have standing to bring it. So a federal judge said no. The Democrats all rejoiced. They said, oh, look, they can, no one can bring the case. It's got a hold. But the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals disagreed and issued a nationwide injunction that put the plans on hold, saying that the states do have standing, that if the state is going to have an un unanticipated financial downturn, and threatened financial harm to the state that does count as standing. So everything is now on hold. The Biden administration continued to approve applications, but they're not actually they're not actually erasing the loans. waving the magic wand. Yet. Yeah, they're not waving the magic wand. But uh, regardless, you know, this is just a good marketing opportunity for the Biden administration. So whether the, the loans get thrown out or or forgiven or not, the Biden administration is say, hey. Look, we approved it. We did everything. It's just these evil Republicans don't want you to, to get the loan forgiven. So you think? I mean, yes, that they can do that. But well, I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm just saying that that's what they're doing, right? Yeah, and of course they are. But what happens if the Supreme Court says uh, no? This needed to be legislated. And and listen, they've lost on. You've got landlords who had people you know, living in their homes without paying as a result of this emergency thing. Things like that have been struck down. So this could get struck down. And then you have people who- It probably will get struck down. Yeah. And then you have people who maybe, you know, maybe they counted on the president's word. Maybe they listened to Elizabeth Warren and they went on a cruise or they spent, they had a Christmas gift from their grandfather or something that they should have spent on their loans. And instead they went out and partied or did whatever. So- by listening to this, you know, pie in the sky BS, they're in a worse position now and they have to pay those. Eventually, they'll have to pay those loans. Uh, yeah, people are going to have to pay those loans. But I have no doubt that in the 2024 election, Biden is going to use this issue and say, you know, reelect me and, and give me a Republican 
uh, Democrat House and Senate so that we can legislate this now and pay off your student debt for you and, and you know, actually follow through with our bribe. That's exactly what he's going to do. And he's emboldened enough, you know, this past week, it basically came out that after the midterms, he has essentially said, I'm running. Maybe not officially, but he's running now. It, it's Joe Biden on the Democratic side. Gavin Newsom is, is saying, look, if the president's going to run, I'm not going to go against him, against whoever's coming from the Republican side. And you, and you mentioned that about what he's going to do. I have a question, though, about this broader emergency thing. You know, he said during that 60 Minutes interview earlier this year, the pandemic is over. How long can the Democrats continue to use this? Because it's not just this issue, right? I mean, they're still holding out this emergency thing to do a lot of things outside of the legislative process. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're just, it's essentially they're going to use this and milk it as long as they can. I mean, as you can see, the, the Democrats have decided that Congress doesn't apply they want to do everything by executive fiat, and they're going to use any kind of creative legal wrangling to try to justify anything that they want to do. Fortunately, the courts look like they're going to stop it, um, just like they stopped the eviction moratorium, just like they stopped the vaccine mandates. They're going to stop this as well. Um, also, what they did with the, they did a ruling on administrative law judges and the EPA and the SBA. That was another one where essentially the government becomes its own judge and jury to help settle cases uh, where the federal government is Im imposing on the rights of individual citizens. So that got struck down as well. This court has made it clear that they don't have a lot of tolerance for the federal government getting out of control, and they're not going to allow it to happen. So I can't wait to hear this case. They've done it on an emergency basis. I think they're actually going to hear it in February. They're fast-tracking it. So it's not too far off when we're actually going to hear these arguments. It's not like this is going to be a year away. Well, so the, as you've mentioned, and, and if you've been listening to this show for the past year or the past hour, you hear the links the Democrats will go to to work outside of our system to ram through their progressive socialist dystopia. Speaking of courts, Biden is packing the lower courts, and he's already got one of his justices on the Supreme Court, which makes elections so important. And we've got another one tomorrow, Paul, down in Georgia. I hope all of our people in Fulton County and, and around the state have listened to this show. Uh, there's a lot riding on this, even though they already have Senate control. Do you give Herschel any chance? Well, I mean, he's definitely, the polling shows Warnock ahead. I have to think that Walker does have a chance, though, just because the Libertarian candidate is not involved. But let's just underscore how important this race is. I mean, people say, oh, well, the Democrats already have control of the Senate now. So, you know, whatever, just let it happen. I mean, this essentially, if, if Warnock wins this race, it takes Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema essentially oh, takes away their, their swing vote power. So the Democrats can now be passing bills without Joe Manchin, which is going to A, uh, make it easier for them to 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 push things through in the Senate. And number two, it's going to allow Joe Manchin to vote no on a lot of these bills, which is going to set him up better to win re-election in 24, because he can say, look, I went against the Democrats. I voted no over and over again, knowing that the bill would get passed by the Democrats anyway. Or he could, he could just switch parties. Could what, what would happen if he did that? Would that 
change the balance from 51 to 50 again? Or, or? Yeah, but I don't think he's going to do that. I mean, he, I think Manchin has just shown that he's he is a Democrat. He's just you know, trying to protect his own hide. And, you know, by by having Warnock win this and having it be 51-49, Manchin can now essentially go to to, um, Schumer and be like, look, I'm just going to vote against everything, but you know I'm with you, but we, you know, just let me vote against everything so I can get reelected in West Virginia in in, uh, 24 and then we'll be on track. Because obviously, you know, they can't get, with the Republican House, they can't get much done. So, this is really just the political gamesmanship here is out of control. So they don't give Manchin that power. Put Manchin, let's hope Walker wins and then we hold Manchin's. Keep him on the hot seat, absolutely. Keep him on the hot seat and then he's really going to have to, it's going to show how how two-faced he is and and let's get him out of office in 2024. You know, I'm just worried that uh, he's going to win again in West Virginia like he did uh, in 18 and we can't. <laughs> One would think that he would. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously proven to be popular. And, you know, if he votes against his own party over the next two years, it's going to give him more power to get reelected. So there's so many second and third order effects of of this Georgia special election. You know, I, I this is such a, it, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely critical. And my mom, who watches MSNBC all day, said, you know, there's a football player standing on the stage with, with Herschel Walker. And it, it turned out to be Doug Flutie, a, a guy that, I'm a big fan of. And she's like, why is he standing with Herschel? And I lost it. I went off on my mom. I, you know, it's just, there's so much passion. Uh, I would like to have more c- civility in politics, but it's, it's gotten into every corner of our, of our lives. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm praying for Herschel that, that he can win. Final thoughts, Paul, on a it's very tumultuous week in America. Well, I, you know, very tumultuous, a lot to be angry about, but a lot of it, I think, you know, can be looked at somewhat positively. I mean, this, I'm hoping that the Twitter files are a turning point. I hope that that Twitter as a platform can really be the place for free speech. And I think the American people want that. And let's remember, Twitter is not just a political platform. People are on Twitter for sports, for staying in touch with people. I mean, it's a full platform. We talk about the political piece of it, but that really is a small part of what, of what Twitter is. And the fact that we're seeing it growing I think is really positive and that most of the claims from the political left saying that Twitter's dying and RIP Twitter and going after Musk, it seems like they're falling on deaf ears. So, you know, I think this was a positive week for America. Let's just hope that, that you know, next week we can talk about the Georgia special election in a positive way too. Let's hope so. If you're in Georgia, go out and vote. There's a lot at stake. We hope Herschel Walker can find his way to the end zone one last time. That would be great. I urge you to go to Matt Taibbi's Twitter feed and read these files and see what has happened, what happened in the 2020 election and the links that the Democrats will go. It's a threat to our republic, quite frankly, if we cannot have free speech in America. Elon Musk is correct. Pray for the Chinese and pray for our men and women across the world who defend us every single day and all of our freedoms. Thank you. For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. We'll see you next week on the Midnight Ride podcast. Have a great week.